How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing okay? Yeah, the weather's great out there. It's really not bad at all. Now, I always notice that whether the weather is good or the weather is bad, some people are on time and some people only wish they could show up on time. Now, you know who you are. We had a Hanukkah event. Many, many of you were there on Saturday night. And uh, we had, well, I think, 123 people in attendance, right? Well, when we were supposed to start at 6 o'clock, there were not 123 people in attendance. There might have been a dozen people sitting in the pews. But we started on time. Why? Because that's the way we do things here at Department. And slowly but surely, there was a trickle and then a flood. And then the joint filled up by about 6.20. Just in time for Eric to give his uh, hip-hop uh, Hanukkah thing. Uh, which was very good. Where is he? Back there. Very, very impressive. If you didn't hear it, I'm sure somebody captured it on, on, um, uh, on a cell phone. But it was really, really good. But some people are on time. Some people are not. <clears throat> you know, I was at, we have a couple of the UMJC YP. Well, we actually, we have the board of the UMJC wire. The, uh, so we've got Rachel Saul and Aaron Budoff and Lisa Rudolph are here from... Uh, different parkour. Bear, uh, uh, Aaron, of course, is from Benet, and Elisa is from uh, Tikvat in uh, Richmond, and um, Rachel is, uh, you know, I can't, I don't know why I can't remember your dad's congregation's name off the top of my head. Shuva. Shuva Yisrael in, in uh, West Hartford. No. Bloomfield, Connecticut. It's been a long couple of months for me. Um, and uh, so I was talking to Rachel. I said, so when, you're, when your dad leads services, do you guys start on time? And she says, no, we start about 15 minutes late. You know, everybody's got a little different minhag. For some people, 15 minutes late is on time, you know. Uh, here, if Jay Kurtz was in the back, Chaplain Kurtz was in the back, he'd be staring at me at two minutes to 10, just like this. <laughs> Why do we have a minhag of starting on time? Well, I, you can blame me because I'm a yucky. I like everything done on time. But a lot of it is Chaplain Jay Kurtz in the back. <laughs> and that's okay. All right? Timing is everything, isn't it? Timing is everything. I look, you know, and those of you involved in, in theatrics, timing is everything. Telling a good joke. I don't tell good jokes. Timing is everything. And something that's not very timely. Dancing. Timing is everything. That rap thing that uh, Eric did, you know, timing is everything. How many of you find God's timing frustrating sometimes? Yeah. You want to be relieved of... You want to just give birth already, right? And be done with it. <clears throat> God has the perfect time. He really does. You know, I think, well, there's you, and there's Betsy, and, and Brittany, and, and uh, Nicole, <laughs> uh, Nicole uh, Roman, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of babies. God's timing is always the best timing. It's not always to our convenience, though. Uh, this coming Friday, we celebrate, uh, well, I mean, in many ways, because we're Jews, it's not like our holiday, in a, in, in a sense, but Messiahmas, also known as Christmas, really represents an event. It reminds us an event that occurred at a particular time. Yeshua the Messiah was born at exactly God's ordained time. I have to tell you, it was not December 25th. It's 
not a problem that Christianity puts it on December 25th. I understand completely why they did it. If anyone says it's a pagan holiday, don't celebrate it and say, well, then don't celebrate Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah actually sits on top of a Mesopotamian pagan holiday date. Okay, so lighten up and uh, drink a little eggnog and doesn't matter. What matters is mem remembering that God at the perfect time sent the Messiah Yeshua, probably born around Sukkot by tradition, Jewish tradition. Messiah will be born either at Sukkot, Passover, or Tishba'av. One of those three dates. But when you look at the New Testament text, the, uh, the shepherds are in the field with their flocks at night. You didn't do that in winter. You didn't do that in winter. It had to be warmer. So there's a good chance it was probably Sukkot. That would make a lot of, a, a lot of sen uh, good sense to say Sukkot. Regardless of when it occurred, okay, it was God's perfect timing. This morning what I want to do is I want to encourage us with the importance of accepting that God has perfect timing. I want to encourage us to remember that God knows what's going on and that his perspective is perspective we need to accept and rejoice in, embrace, even if it's difficult for us personally. God is God, sovereign king of the universe. He knows what's best for us. He has the best timing, especially when it comes to jokes. All right? You can read the scriptures and you'll understand more about that in the Hebrew. So let's take a look. We're going to look at the quintessential text on this holiday of Messiahmas. And you'll know I prefer to call it Messiahmas. When I was a kid, people always talked about Jesus Christ. And uh, I never could quite understand what that was all about. I just figured he must have been the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. And, uh, and so to me, the idea of just explaining makes a lot more sense. Messiahmas. It's all about the Messiah. It is the remembering of the birth of the Mashiach, Ben David, the Messiah, son of David, that God promised to our people. And so Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, go ahead and turn with me there if you're not already there. Matthew 2 tells us this uh, amazing story, this narrative of these three wise guys. You've all seen the three wise guys, not Shem uh, and Mo and Larry, no. But uh, the truth is, is these are not three wise guys. What's fascinating about this passage <clears throat> is this passage uh, reveals important historical information that we didn't even think about. One, uh, we're going to be talking about three magi, three uh, individuals who are uh, more than likely arist aristocratic astronomers coming from Mesopotamia, well-learned individuals. These are individuals, and I'm going to say this now, and then we're going to read the text. These are individuals not traveling alone. These are international diplomats traveling with international diplomatic immunity from the Parthian Empire, which, as Esther will tell you because she knows her history, was always fighting with the Roman Empire. And so in order for these magi, these wise men, to go from the Parthian Empire around modern-day Iraq and travel over to Israel, which would take a few weeks. They would have to travel with papers and a small armed force. They literally would have to travel with their own army. That's why, as we will read the moment, Herod's all like, what's going on here? This is not just a couple of guys, dudes on camels, schlepping junk to give to a kid in a manger. It's not what this is. This is a major 
um, you know, really a major event. This is a delegation of potentially hundreds of people, at least, going from one empire to another empire for the sole purpose of recognizing the king of the Jews. So we're going to look at this text beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. So follow along with me as I read. And yes, for those of you who can't stand my mistakes all the time, I am wearing glasses now. Okay. Now, after Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the ruling Kohanim and Torah scholars, he began to inquire of them where the Messiah was to be born. So they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Yehudah, are by no means least among the rulers of Yehudah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, bring word back to me so that I may come and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they went their way and behold, the star they had seen in the east went on before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great gladness. And when they came into the house... They saw the child with his mother Miriam, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. So, this chapter begins, and really what's fascinating here, you have two different kings. You have King Herod, who happens to be the illegitimate king. King Herod was the son of a convert. Now, That doesn't make him illegitimate. What makes him illegitimate is is he is not the rightful king of the Jewish people. And yet he wears the title king of Israel. Now, of course, he was a rotten character, too. (laughs) He was illegitimate because he was immoral. He was unethical. You know, he just, you know, took a lot of pleasure in hurting people and killing people. If you've never read much about King Herod, just Google it. You know, there's a lot to be said about him. He was a bad guy. He was the illegitimate ruler of Israel. But who is the legitimate ruler of Israel? The descendant of David. All right, the seed of David. This chapter, following up on the last chapter, is conveying to us that that individual is Yeshua. Yeshua, born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets said. Now, uh, I... You know, when it conveys here in this text, when the guys come in and they're talking, you know, talking to Herod, asking him, uh, in essence, you know, again, this is all tricky diplomacy. Anybody here traveled a lot and had to deal with diplomatic issues? Anybody? Diplomacy is an interesting thing. They're coming into town saying, we need to see the king, not you. (laughs) Wow. An egomaniac like Herod. Imagine how he took that. But he had to be diplomatic. Why? He wasn't going to start a border war with the Parthians. The Romans would not want him to do that. He had to suck it up. You ever thought about that? Now again, those of you who know the history, you've read this passage, to think 
that that egomaniac, that cruel King Herod, had to take diplomats from the east saying to him, where is the king of the Jews? He had to take that. But these individuals came to seek the king of the Jews. And of course, Herod had asked, okay, so where is the king of the Jews supposed to be? Well, people, you know, they had their texts. They looked, of course, in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, although back then it was just Micah, Micah, was the book of Micah, okay, because it didn't have chapter and verse designations at that point. I always like to point out, use this as an example. You want to share your faith with your Jewish family and friends? Use their text. You will not find this verse in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, though, because that's the Christian version. We're Jews. Use the Jewish version. Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Makes it very clear. In Bethlehem, this incredible individual will be born. They knew it. They knew it back then. Jewish people have known this for a long time. problem with the Messiah being born in Bethlehem today, does anybody know what the problem is for uh, the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem today? There are no Jews in Bethlehem today. It's Judenrein, okay, if you know that term. The Arabs, the Palestinians have made it very clear. Jew cannot live in Bethlehem. Impossible. So, Messiah can't be born there today. But that's okay, because we know that our Messiah was born at this time. Recognized by these individuals. So they went to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, of course, it was, you know, it was kind of hard to get through all the Jerusalem traffic to get to Bethlehem, and then, you know, you have to wait at the gate. No, that's today. Today, it's a problem. Back then, how many people lived in Bethlehem back then? Almost no one. <laughs> a couple hundred people. Small little place. Not impressive. Not an impressive town. Village, not a town. A hovel, okay? Not many people. A couple hundred people lived in Bethlehem. So they go, they see the Messiah. They see Yeshua. They recognize him as king. When it says here that they worshiped him, I think that's probably a stretch in the word. I don't know if that's really the way they understood it. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But they came to recognize him as the king of the Jews. You know, it's interesting to believe it or not, there are people that worship Yeshua, but they don't recognize him for who he is. You are here to worship the Lord God this morning. This is a worship service. This, on every Shabbat we gather to worship, whether we do it in singing or liturgy or the reading of the scripture. We're here to worship. But to worship means to recognize properly. To recognize properly. You don't have a proper perspective on who God is. You cannot effectively worship him. What's amazing is that these pagans, because I don't think these are Jews coming from the East, maybe, but doubtful, okay, but that these non-Jews, potentially pagans, recognized rightly who Yeshua was. Do we recognize rightly who Yeshua is? Do you recognize rightly who God is? They did. They gave gifts, and then they were warned in a dream, go back a different way. And so how did they go back? Well, Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem, and so, you know, they're a large entourage of people. How did they go back? Who knows? They probably just took a, a different route. Maybe they went down, if you're, if you're familiar with the land of Israel, they went, continued south around the mountains, 
and maybe went down through the Negev and, and circled that way. Uh, who knows? They didn't go back to Jerusalem, and uh, Herod wasn't going to make a big deal out of it, as we talked about earlier. These guys have diplomatic immunity. Herod was a little ticked off. Take a look at the text, verse 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of Adonai appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and went to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death. This was to fulfill what was spoken by Adonai through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became furious. And he sent and killed all boys in Bethlehem and all its surrounding area from two years old and under, according to the time he had determined from the Magi. Then was fulfilled what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and loud wailing, Rachel sobbing for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Very sad text. The encouraging part of the text is the fact that God intervened at the right time and appeared to Joseph and said, get moving, get moving. We don't think about Joseph too much, do we? Always think about Mary, you know, the mother. You ever think much about Joseph? Must have been an odd thing. Hey, <clears throat> you need to marry her, but she's pregnant. Well, yes. But it's a special baby. You almost it's like a Bill Cosby routine. You want me to marry her because it's some miraculous birth that will take place, fulfillment of prophecy. Wow. Would you like to be Joseph? Some of the accusations we see, even in the New Testament, are some people were close. Remember, people were close back then. They were not married. and They were not married. They were betrothed. The whole betrothal process means that they were, they were selected for one another. All right? So Nathan here, you know, let's say uh, uh, Todd and, uh, and uh, Josie decide that they're going to select a, a wife for Nathan. Nathan, we're going to select somebody. You don't even know who it is. But trust, it's okay. It'll be good. You'll be happy. You're 12. She's like 9. But don't worry about it. The difference in age won't matter at all. Back then, that's the way it happened. She's pregnant. Immaculate births don't happen that often. (laughs) There must have been a little scandal, a little talk. You ever thought about this? Joseph earlier in Matthew chapter 1 says, hey, I'm going to not make a big deal because technically I could take her out and have her stoned to death, you know. Well, I'm going to do that. I'll just put her away and, you know, not make a big deal out of it. But he obeys God and he takes Mary, Miriam, as his wife. And the scandal to the outsiders goes on for years. Ever think about that? Joseph always plays the role of the individual providing safety and help and security. But he plays a tough role. 
I don't think we appreciate enough of what it is he does. But God says, get up, take the kid, run. You got like 30 seconds to get out the door. It's like one of those TV shows. They're coming up this way, and somebody, you know, radios and says, go that way. And they run. They go down to Egypt. And of course, a lot of what Matthew does in his text is the, this and that is a fulfillment of this and that prophecy. Uh, you know, what's interesting is, is the out of Egypt text there is, um, uh, I've got to turn on my, put on my glasses again, uh, comes from Hosea 11.1. 1, but it, these are interesting uh, kind of uh, veiled understandings from the text to, to, you know, no one thought that the Messiah would come out of Egypt, okay? It's only something that in the way Matthew is writing his book is to help people understand some of these things and how they all come together in terms of fulfillment of prophecy. But they get up just in time and they go out the door and Herod slaughters all these kids. How many kids died? You know, there's not a single notification of this anywhere else in historical literature. This is the only place it's mentioned. And you might say, well, man, I'm crazy king kills a a whole lot of kids in this region. It it should show up in Josephus. It should show up in some of the writings. No, it's not going to show up because it may not have only been a dozen kids. Terrible, but maybe two dozen kids. Josephus writes, you know, 70 years, 80 years. Actually, he writes about 90 years later, maybe. Herod was a real bad guy. He killed all kinds of people. His own sons, his wives, so this was just a small cruelty that he did. This depraved maniac. God in his timing sent them out and saved the Messiah. They went down into Egypt. And as we continue in verse 19, it says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of Adonai appears in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those seeking the child's life are dead So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But hearing that Archelaus was king of Judea in place of his father Herod, he became afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of the Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that Yeshua shall be called a Nazarati. A Nazarati. So once again, visions to Joseph warning to move and to do this and that. God in his timing, telling him what to do. Uh, it's interesting, this statement, it says you should be called a Nazarite. You know, it's nowhere found in the Hebrew Scriptures, in our current, you know, Masoretic text, that Yeshua would be called a Nazarite, that the Messiah, that this was like a title for the Messiah. But you know what? In the Dead Sea Scrolls, it shows up. So, those of you who are really scholastic in, in interest can go uh, chew on that a little bit and do a little bit of reading. But the bottom line is, is in this text, we see some important things. First of all, we see that God in his timing sends the Messiah. That God in his timing sends these wise guys from Mesopotamia. That God in his timing saves the Messiah Yeshua from the cruelty and the hatred of of Herod. And that ultimately God in his timing brings him back Approximately 3 BCE, I suppose, is what the date would be. 2 or 3 BCE. Up to Nazareth, which will become the center of his ministry. And by the way, is is really the center of the Jewish world. So it's interesting that Yeshua grows up in Nazareth. It's a good thing. 
God's timing is always best. He knows where, where it's best to be. What I find is that as we get older, problems occur to us and God's timing doesn't always work according to our desires. Get a little frustrated with what God does sometimes. It's okay to be frustrated with what God does sometimes. We're human. But Joseph gives us a good example of how to handle this. Submitting and obeying God's instruction. Submitting and obeying to God's instruction. God's ways are never easy. God's ways are never easy. God's ways are always right. I encourage us to do two things. <clears throat> One, consider the example of Joseph who served. He served those around him because fundamentally he understood his role in God's plan according to God's time to serve God. Just so happened he's serving Miriam and he's serving the Messiah. That's his life. He disappears after chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. Well, you can see him a little bit more in Luke chapter 2. Imagine that. He serves such a critical role and then goes off the scene. Many of us like to basically play the stage. <laughs> like to be up front. Sometimes the most important role to play is the service role that starts out the production and then goes offline. The other thing we have to understand, though, and we get this again from this text, is that most of what God wants us to understand about Him and serving Him comes from His Scripture. Okay. Time and again, Matthew says, and this is fulfillment of that, which is found in the Scripture. Too many of us think that the book of, of uh, Yehezkiel, I'm sorry, that's not right. Too many, of us, too many of us don't know our text as well as we should. How can we know God's instruction for our lives if we do not understand his instruction? How, much, how many of us want to know God's will for our life, but we don't know his text? 99% of everything you need to know about God's will for your life is found within the biblical text. Why did Joseph obey God? Because Joseph, as a good Jewish boy, had to learn scripture. That's all they learned when they were kids growing up in Judea and in the Galilee. He knew that God had a plan, and that plan involved the Messiah. God spoke, he understood, he obeyed. As we come to this holiday and as we head toward what I call secular New Year, let's consider God's instruction for ourselves. Let's mine his word so that we might understand his will, so that we might appreciate his timing for our lives. Not only will this encourage you in terms of the everyday part of your life, but who knows, for some of you, it might enhance your ability to have better timing for jokes and, and other things as well, okay? All right, let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the person of Joseph. God, we thank you for the fact that that man, Yosef ben David, that that individual was willing to serve. He was willing to submit to your will. He was willing to live by your timing for his life. Help us, God. Help us as well to serve you, to live by the timing you have for our lives. Again, we just thank you for our Messiah, Yeshua, whose birth led to his death, and his death provided for us atonement for sin. Help us to live worthy of his death.
Help us to follow the example of his life. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.